Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shining the Light, the podcast dedicated to sending out the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Dane Edmondson. Here with me is my co-host, Brian Wise, lead pastor at Community Baptist Church of Richmond. Welcome to episode number three, Brian. Thank you, Dane. I'm looking forward to this session where we wrap up the discussion that we began last week about the Old Testament. But before we get back to the Old Testament, Dane, I'd like for you to take a few minutes and share with our listeners how how did you come up with the idea to do this podcast? And also, why are you so committed to shining the light of the gospel so brightly? Can you share a little more of your story with us? Sure. When I was growing up, I occasionally went to Sunday school. Parents would take me sometimes. I remember during uh, Christmas time one year, I was uh, a sheepdog in the Christmas play at the uh, Lutheran church we attended. And uh, I think it was there that I learned of the existence of God. And so long as I can remember, I always knew there was a God. I remember uh, praying to God to help me pass tests in elementary school or other prayers that uh, in hindsight, you know, seem silly, but I never doubted as a child that God was real. I've met so many people over the years that they have some type of upbringing in church or they've had some level of exposure to the gospel at some point in their childhood, but they were just never fully convinced about the truth of the Bible or of their personal need to be rescued from their condition, their sinful condition, being separated from God because of that sin. Did you experience that? Yeah. As I uh, grew into a teenager, I uh, kind of fell into a state of apathy concerning religion. It's not that I doubted the existence of God at that point, but I I never went to church. I never learned more of God's Word. I never truly understood the scope of the sacrifice that uh, Jesus had made. And so all I had was what I had learned as a child, and I, I forgot a lot of that as I grew up. And really, at the time, I didn't know it, but I was definitely lost. How did that affect you? As you became a young adult, you transitioned from a teenager and you become a young adult. What were some of the questions that you began to struggle with? Well, as a young adult, graduating from high school into college and uh, starting my career, I, I went through kind of a dark period for several years, during which I kind of began to doubt the authenticity of the Bible. And not really having anyone to teach me otherwise and not going to church, I began to doubt the existence of God during those those early years. And so my life came to revolve around uh, eating, sleeping, going to work. And, and then when I would come home, I would indulge myself in video games, and I dare say I even idolized them. Of course, that was before I met Kate and uh, started going to church and, and learned, learning more about the Bible. A saying I've heard a lot people say is, you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know anything about sin or salvation uh, as a young adult, and I might have been able to recite two or three of the Ten Commandments. I might have known the story of creation and the story of Noah, David and Goliath, and of course, uh, the birth of Jesus, but I didn't really know much more than that. I was way off course, and I, I didn't even know it. You know, I didn't, no one, no one came to me and, and shared to help me understand just how lost I was. I think I knew that there was something missing, and so I tried to fill it with uh, video games and other indulgences like that, but, you know, I didn't recognize that what I really needed was the Word of God. So what happened? What intervened and changed the course of your life and, and the way you think now compared to how you thought before coming to faith in Christ. What changed the course of your life, the way you think and now live your life? Well, it was only when I truly recognized and truly understood the fullness of my depravity, of my sinful nature, the sinful nature of all mankind, and also understood the sacrifice that Jesus had made for me that I could 
repent and put my faith in in Jesus. So to kind of help anyone like me who's listening to this show who may be in a place that I was before, I want to share two verses that really help me to understand first the concept of depravity and to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so the first verse that really sums up depravity for me is contained in uh, Romans 3, verses 10 through 20. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so that verse just really hit home that there's no one who is righteous before God, and we're all condemned to hell. And it was, and so that leads into the second verse, which sums up the sacrifice that Jesus made. And that is in uh, John 3.16. And it's a pretty short verse, but it goes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the first part, the, the understanding my depravity, that helped me understand the, the need that I had. It, it helped me understand why I felt a whole. And then the second verse helped me understand the sacrifice that was made for me and gave me hope. That's really what it gave me was hope. The two work together. You can't really appreciate the sacrifice until you first understand the concept of depravity and really understand that if you're not saved, this is what awaits you. So if I can paraphrase, I mean, <clears throat> yeah. what you're saying and just kind of sum that up, it's almost like you were you were given a diagnosis that was you're going to die mm-hmm. and, and there's a problem mm-hmm. and, and your attention was, was truly grabbed when the gospel was presented to you and, and it showed to you like a mirror it held up before you, you are not perfect you are not holy. And when compared to other people, you may not be that bad, but when compared to Christ, to his God, you failed and failed miserably as we all have. Mm-hmm. And then someone told you, but there's an answer. You, there, it's not the end of everything. It's Christ and you must trust in Christ. And here's your hope. It's not there. there is no answer. There's no hope. So he who dies with the most toys wins. And that's mm-hmm. the end of it all. It's we all have a problem. But God sent Christ, and he is the answer for everyone. That's great. I appreciate you sharing that. So what are then the reasons? If you boil it down, why why did you begin this show? So the first reason uh, why this show is, is so important to me is that if there's even one person out there who is lost in the darkness of their ignorance, um, not knowing the sacrifice Jesus made for them, not fully understanding the depth of their sin and the consequences that come from that sinful nature, I have an obligation to do anything I can to show them the truth contained in God's Word. And so, you know, if even one person is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of the truth we share on this show, it will make everything that goes into the show, the time, the energy, the money, everything worth it. And the second reason I'm doing this show 
is to help my fellow Christians who are saved, help to equip them with the tools to to spread the light of the gospel far and wide. A recent experience was on Christmas Eve here at uh, Community Baptist Church. We had a candlelight vigil, and uh, so everyone was given a, a small little candle that they held in their hand. And then the first candle was lit at the front of the room. Uh, Pastor Jamie lit it. And uh, one by one, candles in the room were lit with each person lighting the candle of the person next to them. And so in short order, the the whole room was lit by candles alone. The lights were down and it was just a, an amazing sight. Everybody lifted up their candles and it shed so much light in the room. And that's kind of how I see this show is that we are just, you know, we're, we're that one candle in the darkness and that the flame is the gospel and it's eternal but and we're not the source of the flame but we do have the capability through this show and other outreaches here at Community Baptist Church to spread that flame to other Christians who will hold up their candles and continue to spread the light and and help bring those who are in the darkness lead those who are in the darkness to the light so the motivation that God used to bring me to this show is because I know what it's like to be lost in the darkness and I will by God's grace do anything in my power to help others know Christ and then also to make him known. Dane, thank you for sharing more of your story with us. And we, we know, we understand, there are a lot of other good podcasts, ministries, churches, teaching ministries that are out there that, that are available that talk about the Bible and uh, work with apologetics and defending the faith. We understand that. Uh, this podcast aims to complement other sound ministries and other Christ-centered teachers who are holding up the true light of the gospel for the world to see Jesus. And really, that is our aim. We just, we want to uh, preach Christ and Him crucified. So if you think about how the Apostle John introduced Jesus in the initial verses of, of his gospel, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it, is another way to say that. Verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He, John, was John the Baptist, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That's Jesus. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Jesus is who he's speaking of. Listen to this in verse 11. He came to his own, Jesus did, and his own did not receive him. But listen, we want that every one of our listeners, every person who hears this, this is the invitation that is given to you. It was given to us. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You say, well, how? To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I think those scriptures there in that passage of John's amazing first chapter really help to give clarity to why we're doing this. Why do we want to take our time and just go to the airwaves and go to the internet and just put this message out there? It's because we truly want to shine the light of the gospel, and that light is Jesus, the light of the world. So we're adding our voices to the countless number of those who have been become followers of Jesus, 
by trusting in his name, who also share the gospel. They share the good news of Jesus with their family members, with their co-workers, with uh, the people they come in contact with. And this provides more opportunity for others to see that light that John spoke about and come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior personally for themselves. Not only that, people on every show out there come with their own unique testimonies and experiences. And so no two testimonies or experiences that are the same. And likewise, there's no two shows that are the same. So while there are other shows that talk about the Bible, and you know we're just one of those, that's okay. You know We're going to share our testimony and relate our experience to what the Bible says about various topics to create an experience for you, the listener, which is different from other shows. Yeah, it's so true, you know, that there's many roads to the cross, our own unique experiences and journeys, but there's also another reality. There's only one way to heaven. And we've heard it said before, and many have probably heard this or maybe even said this, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to heaven, you know, the Buddhist goes one way and a Muslim goes another way and, you know, we'll all end up at the same place. There's a lot of different roads, but that's not biblical and that's not what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way. There's no other way. It's, it's, it's through Jesus. So this is the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have the awesome privilege and responsibility to shine the light of the gospel for all to see. So we, we want to thank everyone for listening. And uh, thank you for the tremendous show of support thus far. The reception and number of people listening to this show since our first week has just been really amazing and better than, than we had imagined it would be for our for just getting started. And so I hope that everyone will stick with us as we continue to lay a foundation of the Bible. We're, you know, we're going through the Old Testament, the New Testament, just kind of laying the foundation. And uh, you'll hear more of us as we pull from previous experiences. And uh, you'll hear particularly more from me as uh, I pull from my experiences both prior to being a believer and as a believer to ask various different types of questions of Brian. So there'll be questions that uh, you as listeners might be thinking of or that you are asked by others in your life. And so hopefully by discussing these questions on the show, we can help you if you if you're the one that has those questions to help answer your question. And if uh, you're being asked those questions to help you answer those questions in your life. So next, we're going to discuss our question of the day before we get into today's topic. So my question is, did the Bible always have chapters and verses, or were these divisions added by men? Well, that's a good question, and I think for anyone who has tried to find a location in the Bible, we know that it can be challenging uh, if you're new to the Bible and someone says, open your Bible. You know, and generally, I remember as a kid, if they said open to the book of Psalms, I was I was golden on that because mm-hmm. Psalms is in the middle of the book. And then I had to begin to work out from in, in both directions from there. But that's how anyone begins to learn. Imagine how hard it would be if it's, you know, open your scrolls to, uh, you know, well, it's not really, there's not pages. So about so far, we, would, we wouldn't accomplish much. So so the, the, there's 66 books in the Bible, and they've been divided into chapters and verses primarily, and it, it really is for the sake of convenience. Uh, the chapter divisions that we see uh, in the scriptures today were added in the 13th century by a man named Stephen Langton, and that was in, the, in AD 1227. Langton was a professor at the University of Paris, and he later became the Archbishop of Canterbury. The divisions of chapters into verses came about three centuries later. A French printer named Robert Stephanus divided the chapters into verses for his Greek New Testament, and that was published in 1551. So the first complete Bible with chapters and divisions, it was actually Stephen's edition of the Latin Vulgate in 1555. And the first English New Testament to have chapters and verses was the Geneva Bible, and that was in 1560. 
And it was primarily, it was for the purpose of convenience so that people, when they were studying, when they were being discipled, when they had questions, they could find the location. They could all, as a church, gather and go to a location, whether it be one of Paul's letters or a gospel or a, a segment, a section in the Old Testament, and they wouldn't spend their entire meeting simply looking through, you know, endless uh, pages to try to find where are we? I think you mentioned this earlier, but these chapter and verse divisions, they don't change the content or meaning of, of Scripture at all. They're just for convenience, right? It primarily is for convenience. It definitely helps. But convenience, that aspect, that's a blessing. But I also want to say there's confusion too, and confusion is a barrier to overcome. Let me give an example of this. The divisions were made by men. And therefore, they're not divine. So the chapter breaks, the verse divisions, those are, those are not inspired by God. Those were implemented by men to simply organize within the books contained in the Bible so that the readers, so that those studying could be on the same page, in the same place, looking at the same verse and know what we're talking about, where are we going, what's going to be read, and it could bring together unity. But it introduced confusion in some places. One example of an unhelpful chapter break comes actually in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we've been going through uh, the Gospel of Luke. And when we came to the end of chapter 20, Jesus, he's been confronted by his enemies, the religious leaders there in Israel. They do not like his message. They do not want to yield authority to him. They will not have him to, to reign over them. He confronts them over the, the fundamental fulfillment of who is David's son. And at the end of Luke 20, Jesus, he challenges his enemies on who, if David, uh, verse 44 of Luke 20, therefore David calls him Lord, how is he then his son? And then Jesus gives a warning because the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the elders, they refused to take the Old Testament, understand it, and look at the ministry and life of Jesus and see clearly this is the one that David was prophesying of. This is the one that Moses was prophesying of. And so then Jesus provides a strong condemnation of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says in verse 47, who are guilty of devouring widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. And he says, these will receive greater condemnation. And then the chapter breaks. And Chapter 21 opens, and if you just stop your reading there and you come the next week and you pick, you know, the message picks up and here's this, hey, Jesus is in the treasury and he sees a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And Jesus says, this poor widow, she put in more than everybody, is what I'm paraphrasing. It's all disconnected and it leaves you saying, well, I, I've never given everything like that widow. But that testimony is put in there by Luke for a reason. And it has to do with the context. But the chapter break kind of disconnects it from what took place right in front of it. And then if you look at what takes place right after it, Jesus tells the disciples who were ooh and ah at the temple and how beautiful it is. And what he just came out of and saw these religious leaders who were laying these immense burdens upon the widows that they should have been helping, who were trying to come. And they thought, if I just give God everything, maybe, maybe that will merit eternal life and I will be put right with God. And Jesus says, this false system, what it had turned into, it's all coming down. 
And he, he tells the disciples, it's all coming down in there. He predicts Rome coming in and de- destroying the, the temple in AD 70. Have any scholars over the years ever tried to rewrite the chapter and, and verse breaks, or is it all, has it just been? Uh... No, this has been pretty widely received, and it's, it's pretty standard across the translations that, that this is uh, recognized to be helpful and so left as we have it primarily. One example of an unhelpful dissecting of verses, which is different than the chapter breaks, but the breaking it down by verses, it's very helpful to find your place in a chapter, is found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. And it seems at first glance that, you know, broken apart, 21 kind of stands by itself. And verse 21 says, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. And it almost seems that, you know, here Paul is giving these commands that it's, if you abstain from these certain foods during these seasons, then that's, that's spiritual and, and that's going to merit God's approval. But when it's, when it's not connected with verse 20 that came in front of it, therefore, Paul writes, Colossians 2, verse 20, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself, yourselves to regulations? And then it verse continues. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. So it's very, it's very different when it's connected to the verse and Paul gives the illustrations. But if you just have that verse 21 on your screensaver and it just comes up by itself, it, remember, you know, stay away from this and stay away from that. And, and he seems in, in by, by itself, it seems to be promoting a works based righteousness rather than what he is uh, completely sold out and committed to, and that is, it is by grace we are saved through faith. We cannot merit God's favor. He gives his grace. And I'm sure that there are some groups uh, out there who will cherry pick from the Bible, so to speak, and, and take those out of context. It's, it's why you, wherever you go, uh, you know, we trust that you are in fellowship uh, faithfully in a Bible teaching church. But Please take your Bible and uh, learn the Word and and uh, take notes and and pay attention to the context and what is what is around the Scripture verses. It's very important. So now we're moving on to the division of the Old Testament and kind of talking about the structure of the Old Testament, because I know from from my perspective, growing up, I my impression was that the Old Testament was all was all just historical. I, I knew there was some odd odd sounding chapters, which was like the Psalms. And stuff like that, but I didn't really understand that the different types of books that are actually in the Old Testament. So it's actually divided into three types of books. There's 17 historical books, there are five poetical books, and then there's 17 prophetical books. Max Anders classifies these 17 Old Testament historical books into the following nine eras. The first era is creation, and that's where God creates the earth. There's the patriarch era, that's the time of Abraham. There's the Exodus, where the, the bondage of the Israelites in Egypt is broken and they're led out of Egypt by Moses. Then there's the conquest, where the Israelites are conquering the land that would become their home. The next era, classified as the judges, and that's where God commands the Israelites to utterly destroy. Do not intermarry or worship false gods. Then comes the kingdom era. And this, is, this concerns Saul, David, Solomon, and it also accounts the division of the kingdom of Israel. The next era is exile, and that's where the Israelites are conquered and sent into exile. 
then they return in the next era, and uh, that's where the Israelites are returned to the promised land. And then lastly is the era of silence, and that's where God prepares for the coming of his son. Yeah, and that follows the you know mirrored that we spoke of before, the 400 years of silence that transpired. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene preparing the way for God's anointed one, which is Messiah. It's, it's, it's Christos. It's Christ. So after the 17 historical books, we get into the uh, five poetical books. And these were the ones I was talking about that always sounded like uh, a little odd. And I was like, are these historical or, or what are they? You know, they always have those little nuggets of wisdom. You'll see a lot of people will do their signs like in their home, uh, the wall hangings in their home with a lot of Proverbs and Psalms messages on them. And uh, so the first one is Job and that the theme of Job is suffering. You know, he lost his wealth, his children and his health. God lets Satan get to Job and God pelts him with 70 questions He has, and God asserts his authority. And in, the, in that book of Job, we really see that God is trustworthy, even in the chaos of our lives. And when you look at Job's friends, so-called friends, and how they, they just kept battering him through the entire book. We know you've done something wrong, Job. What do you, come on, you can tell us. You can tell us. But, you know, the readers of Scripture, we see that Job, you know, you see, he was a sinner like all of us are sinners, but he wasn't a greater sinner than anyone else. And God allowed this trial to come into his life and through it all. Job trusted in God. So the next poetical book is the book of Psalms, and the main theme of Psalms is, is worship. And in Psalms, you'll find 150 encouraging chapters regarding love and worship of God. So basically, every chapter ascribes all praise to God. Uh, the next book is the book of Proverbs, and the theme of Proverbs is wisdom. Chapters 1 through 9 are paragraphs, while 10 through 29 are short phrases. And then the book closes with chapters 30 and 31, which are both full paragraphs. Yeah, and you know, uh, Proverbs is a great book. If someone who's looking for a, a place to begin and just daily reading the scripture, take the date, whatever the date is in the month. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs and just open, open the word of God and begin to just read and say, God, help me as I read your word, Re read each chapter. It's a great introduction to Bible study. The next poetical book that some people may not have heard much about is uh, Ecclesiastes. The main theme of Ecclesiastes is meaning. It contains a record of Solomon's attempt to find meaning with God. It shows readers that life is a gift and that we are meant to live in submission and to trust God. The last poetical book is the Song of Solomon. And the uh, overlying theme of the Song of Solomon is marital romance. So it contains love songs, it romanticizes lively relationships, it uh, talks about consummating the love God created and directs, and most importantly, it shows that God loves romance in the context of marriage. Then after the 17 historical books and the five poetical books, we have 17 prophetical books that can be divided into five major books and 12 minor books. Now, to avoid confusion, we just want to clear up that the terms major and minor refer to the length of the book and not to their importance. And so a book can be a can be termed a minor book but still be uh, very important. All but 3 of the books in the of the prophetical books can fit into either a pre-exilic, exilic or post-exilic category. These categories sort of speak for themselves as pre-exilic is pre-exile from Israel, exilic books are written during the Israeli exile and post-exilic is when the Israelites return to Israel. Only Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi do not fit into one of those categories. 
And then lastly, which we already touched on a little bit earlier, silence period was from approximately 400 BC to about 0 AD. And during this period, there was no prophetic word from God, though it was clear God was at work behind the scenes. And we touched on this in our last episode a little bit, but just to do a recap, first the Greeks and then later the Romans captured Jerusalem. This helped spread Greek and uh, later Latin language to that region. And the Greek language would later facilitate the spread of the word throughout Asia Minor and into the Mediterranean through the early days of Christianity. Roads were built, which created an infrastructure to later carry the word across the Roman Empire. And the Israeli people were left with a longing in their hearts because they went so long without prophetic word from God. And we saw that a little bit in, in our last episode where we were talking about the apocryphal books, the other books that were not included in the canon of the Bible, where they some of those books talked about the longing that the Israelites had for um, some word from God. Yeah, as they so often they were longing for a deliverer. They were waiting for, you know, and even the Psalms, no doubt they would, they would lift those in prayer to God of how long, Lord, how long. And they waited for one to deliver them. And Jesus helps us with the breakdown that, uh, Dane, you've, you've done a great job describing. In Luke chapter 24, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, then he said this to the disciples that he caught up to him on the road to Emmaus. And he says in verse 44, he says, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, there's one division of the Old Testament, and the prophets, there's another division, and then this, and he says, and the Psalms concerning me, and the Psalms was the first book in the last section in the Hebrew Old Testament. So Jesus helps us with understanding the canon of the Old Testament, that Jesus helps us with those divisions. And so as we uh, said last time, when the writer of Hebrews opens, he, he says in, in Hebrews 1, 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in the these last days spoken to us by his son. And that's how that beautiful sermon begins in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, writing to Hebrews, descendants of Abraham, trying to show to them, in a, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament is the story of the Redeemer, the Redeemer of Israel, the suffering servant. And uh, for our readers who would like to have further study, we want to recommend resources. I, I would recommend Christopher J.H. Wright's book, Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. It's a great resource to have because he takes the Old Testament that Jesus had. That was Jesus' Bible. That was the, the Bible that the disciples were familiar with the Old Testament, and Christ is concealed in the Old Testament, and he's revealed in the New Testament. And we have this amazing privilege to look back and look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, through the Word of God, Jesus himself coming and speaking to us that God has spoken, and he sure didn't, he sure didn't mumble. He spoke so clearly. And uh, when Jesus uh, is there with those disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 27, this is the best Easter sermon ever preached that we do not have the record of in Scripture. Jesus preached it. And he spoke to those two disciples as they walked along the road and their eyes were hidden. They, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And this is what Luke writes in verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He, Jesus, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So from the word of God, from Jesus himself, the light of the world, 
we come to know. The Old Testament, it's not just a, a, a bygone book that is unnecessary. It's part one. And if you've ever been to a play and then somebody shows up, you know, in scene two or part two and they weren't there. And then what are they doing? They're elbowing you the whole time saying, hey, hey, who's that character? Hey, what, where, where did he come from? Hey, what's going on? And you want to say, will you knock it off? You should have been here. Why'd you come late? You know, come to the next show and watch what happens in, in, in the first act, the first half. And then the second half will make sense. So it goes today. Without the Old Testament, the New Testament won't make much sense because it's part two. Part one is the Old Testament, Christ is concealed. Part two, Christ is revealed. That's our show this week. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of Shining the Light. As always, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cbcpodcast and Twitter at twitter.com slash cbcpodcast. You can also email us anytime with your questions and comments at podcast at cbcrichmond.com. Uh, note this is a ministry of Community Baptist Church of Richmond. If you're listening to this show through iTunes or another podcast app, we ask that you please rate the podcast so that we may reach even more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless, and we pray you have a great week. Brian, would you mind closing us in prayer today? Lord, we thank you again for the amazing privilege that we have to know you. I'll never get over that amazing grace that John Newton so beautifully wrote of his own testimony of being such a great sinner. But in his words, I have a great Savior. Jesus, thank you that you came and you came to seek and to save the lost. And if anyone will humble themselves and turn to you and trust in you, you will save them and you will make them your child. You will adopt them into the family of God. We thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.